0: Well, welcome along to The Pastor's Heart. My name is Dominic Steele and it's great that you could join us this afternoon. Now, we're live on Facebook every Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock. And my guest today is Dr. Peter Jensen, the uh, former Archbishop of Sydney, an old friend, Um, of course, the... uh, current General Secretary of the uh, GAFCON movement uh, within world Anglicanism, uh, the incoming editor of The Churchman magazine. So I'm told. And uh, currently lecturing at Moore Theological College, YouthWorks College in Sydney and the Queensland Theological College. (laughs) All part-time. All part-time. Naturally. Sir, welcome along. It's great to have you. Now, We're doing the pastor's heart. There's a range of things I want to talk to you about, churches and leadership and things like that. But let's just start with your heart. And um, here you are, 12 years after most people have retired. Um, What drives you? What keeps you doing all of that?
1: Uh, Well, Dominic, uh, today I just uh, was looking up some quotations from uh, from John Newton. Mm -hmm. Amazing Grace John Newton, the ex-slave trader who Mm. became a Christian. And there's a quotation there, which I think comes directly from him. Certainly it's in the movie of his life uh, where he says, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great saviour. And that's all I can say. I know I am a great sinner. Uh, Others may say, oh, in what way? None of your business. I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great saviour. And in everything, that's what drives me.
0: Mm. Remember you... uh just as you say I'm a great sinner I remember years ago when I was having a rough time and people were complaining about me um I went to see you and talked to you about it when you were the archbishop and uh I said well people have complained and you said to me um people have complained about me too it's <laughs> uh, <That's> true <laughs> and then,
1: very true was that a help
0: <laughs> well it was the next thing you said was an enormous thing he said uh when they give you a criticism, reflect on it and then actually I'm worse than the thing they're criticising me for. Yeah. Um, if only uh, they knew the truth. If only they knew my heart, the wickedness yeah. of my heart. Yeah. And, yeah, that's right. And the great work that God has done to and what I would be without the gospel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's what
1: I always think. When, when criticism comes, as it does, uh, reflect on it. But always remember that the person, if the person really knew, they could be a lot worse. Mm. God knows. But then, the judge of all the world is also the saviour of the world, mm. and uh, I trust—I just rest in Him. That's all I can do.
0: Mm. Mm. Now, um, the GAFCON movement, and yeah. um, I mean, there'll be some people here who won't even know what GAFCON is. Yeah. But um, there's a big conference in Jerusalem back in June. Um, could you? Sp- tell us about it. Paint the scene of the world movement in Anglicanism that is GAFCON.
1: Uh, sure. Uh, you'd have to go back. I'll try not to go back too far and this sort of thing. But there's a crisis in the Anglican communion worldwide. There's about 80 million Anglicans around the world. There's a crisis. It's to do with the authority of the Bible. Uh, it's to do with particularly uh, our understanding of human sexuality and what the bible teaches about human sexuality and as all who are listening to this may guess there are some who who say no the orthodox and the traditional view is that uh, sex is intended for marriage and for marriage alone Uh, there are others who say no this is no longer the case and particularly this comes up with uh, same-sex marriage Mm -hmm. and and same-sex relations Uh, I take the view that, no, the Bible, the word of God tells us this is out of order, not (laughs) because we're trying to be nasty people. On the contrary, wisdom and experience teaches me that when we follow the Bible, we find that that's what's best for Mm. us. That's wisdom. Maybe hard, but that's wisdom. That's where true wisdom lies. Anyhow, this has affected the Anglican communion. It has divided us right down the middle. And as a result, about 10 years ago, there was, a, there was a big sort of falling out in North America in particular. About 100,000 Anglicans in North America left their church and set up their own church because they said their original church, the original Anglican church in North America, had become compromised and had begun to bless same-sex. So they set up their own church. Around the world, many of us Anglicans said, well, you're the real ones. You are the real Anglicans. And as a result, there began this movement. It's had three big conferences. The first was in Jerusalem in 2008, in Nairobi 2013, and then in Jerusalem this year, just a couple of months ago. Mm.
0: Now, we've got a couple of slides of that conference, and we'll put them up on the video as we speak. But, which won't do those listening on the audio podcast any benefit, but for those watching yeah, us on video... they can well, imagine. Yeah, they can imagine. Yes, yes, yes. Why don't you tell us what was significant for you uh, in this last uh, conference in June? Well, there were about 1,000 people the first conference,
1: 1,300 the second. There were 2,000 this time. They came from 53 different nations all around the world. Uh, we are accused of being a negative movement. You know, you're against sex, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. No, the movement is for the gospel. And that was the theme of this conference, uh, proclaiming Christ faithfully, I mean the true Christ, the true scriptural Christ to the nations. And that was the, that, how to describe it? Uh, Christian fellowship is a very, very wonderful thing. When Christian fellowship includes so many people from so many different parts of the world, where they're bringing their cultural gifts, it's like, uh, the end of the
0: Bible, where mm-hmm. we talk about the nations coming in. With Every their tribe gifts. and nations, people yeah, and language. Yeah, it was like that, and it, it did feel a, a foretaste of that. It,
1: um, it did. It really did. And I prayed that the Lord would meet us in Jerusalem, and and I believe He did. I mm-hmm. believe He was amongst us. Uh, and and again and again, there were sort of gaff-gone moments where the Lord overruled or or intervened and and Things happened. People were brought together. Things were said from the stage. The Lord was exalted. The, the singing was—I was going to say—out of this world. That's uh, that takes us up to the Book of Revelation. Well,
0: I've, but I've got—I've I've, got—I I've got, I've got, got have to say that um, I've become a convert to church choirs um, as long as they're Nigerian. Oh, phew. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong, church choirs, wonderful things. But the Nigerians, oh, Oh, they're awesome. Yeah, yeah.
1: I got the Nigerian uh, choir, I, I crept up on stage at one point and got them to sing happy birthday to me. Oh. It wasn't my birthday, but I got them to sing happy birthday to me. And they did, and they sang a second verse, and I never knew the second verse. And it says... Um, may the good lord bless you may the good lord bless you etc etc mm-hmm. i won't bore you really. but it was just it was beautiful y- and wonderful your birthday's the 11th of july isn't it same as gough whitlam's and me no it is and the same year too yeah. uh, was, <laughs> not well not uh, the same year for yes, me it was <laughs> the same year de- dominic <laughs> and i are exactly the same age apparently no that's not true <laughs> That is not true. No, I had forgotten that,
0: and I do beg your pardon for forgetting it. (laughs) That's all right. (laughs) Um, uh, Significant moments, though. Uh, Very significant, that statement on the last day. It was Um, indeed, yeah. Tell us about that.
1: Well, uh, the statement was not written beforehand. Uh, I would write statements beforehand myself, uh, but I like getting everything organised. But this was written during the conference as a result of the conference there was a version of it on Thursday, which everyone heard. Uh, the groups went away. The national groups went away, talked about it, fed their comments back. The, co- the group that wrote it, headed up by our own Archbishop uh-huh. uh, Davies, uh, met until one or two in the morning. I, I crept in and listened to them. Uh, and they changed it and improved it as a result of what everyone had said. And then it was read to us by Archbishop Mbunda on the last day and a standing immediate standing ovation for what it said. It's called a letter to the churches. It's not that long. It's Mm -hmm. available on the Gafcon website and I think everyone should read it. Uh, It's pithy. It's profound. It speaks with dignity and it's deeply challenging to those who are taking the route that leads them away from the Bible or those who are Wavering in the middle Mm. and not
0: coming out and saying what they should say. So there's a challenge, if you like, to Africa over the prosperity gospel. Yes, indeed. And there's a challenge to the Western churches over theological revisionism. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, since then, since June, and it's a very significant thing that this group of, um, well, uh, representing. Two thirds of the world's Anglicans yes. um, have and and really saying, this is what Jesus says. Yep. Um yep. What's been the response from well Canterbury, Lambeth, those other people?
1: Yeah. If you if you're not too sure on the Anglican thing, uh, there's the, the Anglican communion is really the product of the great missionary movements, uh, and that's why there are so many. Twenty million church-going Anglicans in in Nigeria alone, and mm-hmm. Uganda has, I think, eleven million. So these are very significant. Anglican churches, churches. Um, in order to structure the Anglican communion there's something called the Lambeth Conference that occurs every 10 years for bishops and then there's a, an Anglican Consultative Council and, and other sort of structures these structures have let us down badly uh-huh. uh, they haven't they haven't come up and said what they should say in my opinion and I think what happened in Jerusalem uh, was that um, the structures, they're still in place, and we didn't dismantle them. Uh, the, the, the conference transcended them. Uh-huh. It, was a con- it was a spiritual movement. GAFCON is a spiritual movement. And whether the, whether the institutions continue or not, it doesn't matter. What really mattered was 2,000 Anglicans came together without the structures, but with God in their midst to say we want to reach the world for Christ and we want to do so with the orthodox teaching of the Bible, not with revisionism. Uh, It was a great moment in the history of world Anglicanism. Mm. That's what it was, Mm. whether you like it or not. You can't write the history of the Anglican Communion any time
0: soon without talking about that conference. No, no. Yeah. Which made it astonishing to me that um, it just seemed I, I, that there was no reaction from the Archbishop of Canterbury. He's just kind of put his head in the sand um, or, yeah. or saying peace and safety in our time. Do you know? Or, yeah. Well, he
1: he referred to GAFCON uh, before the conference began. He referred to GAFCON as a ginger group. Well... It always reminded me of Winston Churchill. Yeah, sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah. It just seemed insulting to me.
1: Well, you know, uh, it reminded me of Winston Churchill. Britain was once described during the Second World War as a chicken, more or less, and Winston Churchill said some some chicken and some neck. Uh, To describe it as a ginger group, it's a thorough misunderstanding Mm. of GAFCON, of the spirit of GAFCON, and of the significance of GAFCON. At the meeting, uh, the um, uh, Ugandans said that they would not go to the next Lambeth Conference. The Nigerians have now declared they will not go to the next Lambeth Conference. When you two, I think, largest Anglican churches say they're not going to turn up. Uh Uh, Not because they're being nasty or ornery, but because they're trying to send a message to us in the West. Repent. Uh Turn back to Christ. Turn back to the teaching of the Bible. Or as they say to us, you bought us the Bible. We changed our whole lives in order to conform to the Bible. Uh-huh. Now you're saying to us, oh, by the way, you didn't have to do that. And its it has been very distressing for many of the uh, global South Anglicans. Very distressing for all of us. But the stand they've taken is a stand which speaks volumes about God. Now, why that can't be seen in England i well many English do see it, but why the leadership can't see it I'm bewildered hmm bewildered
0: it was also lovely um, just to see so many Africans step up in leadership do you oh, know? Yes. and to oh, see yes. and to see those africans i mean I felt as a westerner there um uh, I am being encouraged in the gospel by these brothers and sisters um, who have a boldness and a clarity that sometimes I go fuzzy on and need to be encouraged on, and I so appreciated it. And I don't think my reaction was unique. Do you yeah.
1: know? No, that's true. And what we've got to bear in mind is that we're dealing here, particularly with the African leadership, with, uh, with people, and particularly men, because they're the archbishops in their different provinces, but who have stared persecution in uh, the face. Uh, they know what it's like. In fact, one of the problems with this whole Western revisionism is that it makes preaching the gospel in Africa and Asia far more difficult uh-huh. uh, because people say, is that what Christians believe? Well, we don't believe uh-huh. that. So, But they have stared persecution in the face. They uh, are responsible for huge churches... They have responsibilities in the state which we simply don't have any longer. Mm. These are very considerable leaders Mm. and uh, you're quite right, when you hear them stand and speak you are listening to people with immense personal authority, Mm. far more than we can provide now in the West. Mm. It's really impressive. It is very impressive. It is very impressive.
0: since then you've been at the renew conference in the uk true. um so that was just yeah. two weeks ago tell us yeah. about that because yeah. this
1: is really
0: the evangelical guys in the united kingdom gathering yeah
1: yes not all the evangelicals but the even but quite a number of them uh the renew conference has been going five years now uh it's really bringing together again it's it's interesting it is it is arising out of the present difficulties and the present rebellion against the bible that's true but the theme of the conference is particularly what can we do to evangelise England? Mm. So it's, it's not as though this is a protest movement, this is a protest movement. Say no to this. They're saying, well, of course you must take a stand on this matter. Uh, even if the leadership doesn't, we must. Mm. Uh, and how we take a stand may differ from person to person, but we've got to take a stand. Now let's get together to do that. But more important even, let's preach Christ faithfully to this nation. Mm. And so it's, I, we got the gospel from England. I'm not giving up on England. Uh-huh. Uh, I think there are so many faithful and wonderful Christian leaders and people in England. Uh, they, they, they bless us frequently. And it's great to be with the people who are going to make a stand for Christ and still have in mind
0: to win the nation. Uh-huh. What's going on in New Zealand? Because we've just seen a new, ch- new church, Dave Clancy and others in Christchurch. Yeah. Well, New Zealand shows you in a
1: sort of a, shows you uh, what GAFCON's about in a way, mm-hmm. uh, because what's happened in New Zealand has also happened in Canada, the United States, Scotland, uh, Wales is, is beginning to happen in Wales. Uh, so it it, it provides a, a template for what's going on, and it could happen here in Australia as mm. well. Uh, what happened in New Zealand is that the church there, um, the, church, the Anglican church there, has um, passed a motion through its General Synod which in a sense moves as as little as possible and to be fair the, the leadership has tried to make it possible for everyone to stay together in this. They haven't said you must do this but they have allowed for the blessing of same sex. Uh, within the within the church there, now the question is always: What's the Rubicon? What's the what, you know, uh, where, where do you shift? Where do you draw? Yeah, yeah where do you draw the line? Um, a number of our people in a number of evangelical people in the church in New Zealand, uh, two or three years ago, set up a branch of GAFCON. That was the first step, and then uh, they have now decided that they can no longer stay in the Anglican Church in New Zealand, they said this is not joy and gladness this is tears and uh. pain and uh, I think it's now four or five churches, particularly in the Christchurch area, but not only there have decided to withdraw from the Anglican Church, the, the ordinary Anglican Church in New Zealand Now not all evangelicals have done that there's a whole Nelson Diocese as far as I know, which is largely evangelical, has not done that, but these brothers have felt, brothers and sisters of course have felt that This has to be done. So they have withdrawn. Now, who are they? Are they still Anglicans? Well, this is where GAFCON comes in. Mm. Because GAFCON worldwide says to them, yes, you are. Yes, we will help you. We will provide for you. And uh, we will help you to be the Anglican church we think you should be. Mm -hmm. And
0: that's why GAFCON is so important. And so. I'm imagining Episcopal Oversight is being set up for some of those churches. I think we'll need to do that. It's happened yeah. in the past. It's
1: happened in Canada. It's happened elsewhere in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And so some sort of Episcopal leadership will need to, be, need to be provided for those brave people, parishioners, clergy, who are making that stand. Now, bear in mind they're doing so with great pain they're not doing so in a way shaking the fist. They're doing so recognizing that attempts were made to keep them in. Uh. That's true. But there comes a moment when, with the best will in the world, we have to say a line has been crossed, a blessing of something that God calls sin has occurred. We are now putting souls at risk. Uh. We are now putting people at risk by teaching something that is actually against the Bible. And therefore, to remain in fellowship with that
0: uh, is not something we can do. Well, as Rico Tice said, "It's you're saying it's safe when people are on the road to destruction and so therefore, it's a different religion. Ultimately, I fear that is so. Mm. Um,
1: now, there are people who differ from me in this, of course, but I think this is this is the point and we have seen it for the last 20 years or more and uh, I think what they've done is both courageous and I think they're right
0: mm. now I want to turn more broadly to leadership um, uh, and Christian leadership and what is the nature of leadership what is, what, what's um, talk to me about the sacrifice the laying down my life the, what's expected of the Christian leader
1: yeah I often think of the word authority, uh, because leadership, particularly leadership that arises from an office, uh-huh. as opposed to sort of leadership that you undertake for yourself, uh, is connected to authority. Uh, authority is very often connected in people's minds with tyranny, power, uh-huh. ruling people with a rod of iron. But that's not the picture of authority we have in the scriptures. What the picture of authority we have in the scriptures is: you are given authority to take responsibility for certain things. Uh, You have to be careful to limit that authority to what you're asked to take responsibility for, and you have to be careful in exercising that authority that it is in the interests of the persons for whom you've been given authority, not
0: Mm -hmm. in your own
1: interests. Mm -hmm. For Too often, uh, people who exercise authority do so in their own interests, whether it's financial or whether it's to make them feel better. Uh, I I know we love to cover people with authority with wonderful titles Mm -hmm. and, you know, doctor this and doctor that, all this sort of stuff. Uh, No, the essence of leadership is to take responsibility that you have been given uh, and to conduct that responsibility. Now, you mentioned sacrifice, and rightly so, because uh, being taking that authority is in the interests of the other and therefore requires sacrifice. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean becoming a doormat. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the person in authority needs to be quite definite and directive. Sometimes the person in authority needs to rebuke and to exhort. Uh, Sometimes the person in authority, if you're in the military, for example, (laughs) the nature of authority is to say do this and the nature of of those under authority is to, to do it. So we're not talking doormats here, mm-hmm. but we are talking about taking responsibility
0: for others in accordance with the responsibility we've been given. So, if I'm thinking of the senior leader in a church, or in your case, the principal of the theological college, or the Archbishop, or even in GAFCON, um, how do how do you do that? I mean, I mean, how do you, as the General Secretary of GAFCON, do that with all of those kind of people that you're working with at that level of leadership and then we'll come down to how do i do it at village church and the the, my trainees and assistants and associates
1: which strangely and i'll come back to this point of this time is more difficult um but we'll come back to that one Mm -hmm. Uh, the general secretary of gafcon is not a person with huge authority Uh, there is a board that runs gafcon a primates council and the chairman and they make policy uh, and it's the duty of the General Secretary to know the policy and to
0: implement, it, in, it. implement
1: mm. it. So always I was, I was uh, in authority, but I was always under others, and I mm-hmm. think that uh, higher authority needs to be respected, mm-hmm. and if you can't respect it, if you can't fulfil the policies, leave the job, mm-hmm. uh, because <laughs> you are meant to offer respect to the people who have put you in that position. Now, in Gafcon circles, Gafcon involved relating to people all around the world. Uh It meant I was on the phone night after night and so forth and so on. Uh, Largely, it was by persuasion, uh, not by... There there was very little ordering around to do because there wasn't anyone to order around. Uh, But uh, I I try to not operate by um, direction, but that's cultural to some extent. In some cultures, direction is the... Is the way in which authority mm-hmm. is exercised but in our culture uh, and, and I think hopefully uh, persuasion, suggestion and a clear care both for the person to whom you're speaking, who you want to do something, but also for the people whom you are both serving mm-hmm. so <laughs> I think love is the key to authority, mm-hmm. clearly
0: evidently loving the people for whom you're responsible You said you thought it might actually be more difficult in the local church context oh, yes. than in, in the context that you've been working in more recently. Yes. yes. Um, what did you mean by that? Because, I mean, that's well, initially a surprising comment. Because um, yeah. Why do you think the Lord has never led me to be the rector of a
1: church? He knew I couldn't do it. Um, uh, dear brother, the reason for saying that is that... Um, General Secretary of GAFCON sounds so impressive and mm-hmm. you know and wonderful and uh, worldwide ministry and you can put it in. In fact, recently I, I am in who don't don't smile. I am in who's who in Australia and they've recently sent me an email saying you are one of the most influential people in Australia. They've sent it to everyone, etc. etc. Mm-hmm. Well. A far more difficult and important job is to be the pastor, the rector, as we call it, of a parish. Far mm-hmm. more difficult. You're talking about the senior leader. Yeah. I am, yeah. particularly, uh, yes. Um, if you think of, it, uh, if, for example, it's smallish, say seventy hundred adults, it's like a village. Everybody knows you. Everybody can s- you're on constant display all the time. Your life is modelling what others are looking at. In a small, in a village, people tend to tread on each other's toes, uh, tend to t- uh, you know, have fights about the kitchen and other relatively mm-hmm. minor things. In a village like the one that is a small parish church and you are the senior pastor, you may be there for quite a long time and to teach Sunday by Sunday by Sunday Sunday faithfully and yet in a way in which people will listen and benefit from requires more intellectual and spiritual gifting than lecturing in a theological college. Now, that lecturer might have a PhD from Cambridge or Yale and may be very superior intellectually in a way, but no, the job of preaching faithfully and simply to a congregation Sunday by Sunday by Sunday requires a depth and a knowledge ahead of that, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So it's a very large responsibility And in a smallish community, it can be extraordinarily demanding. And yet it's the best job in the world. It's the most wonderful privilege and responsibility to be the senior pastor of a congregation.
0: What are the differences in responsibility between the senior pastor and an associate?
1: Well, it's easy. The associate just does exactly what the senior pastor tells him to do. Uh, That was just a joke. Um... It depends on the structure of the denomination and the structure of the church, of course. Mm -hmm. But in our setup, in this part of the world, the rector or the senior pastor has a responsibility uh, which, well, it's like being the archbishop. (laughs) It's like being the principal. Uh, I have been both on the staff of a college and then the principal. I have then stepped into the role of archbishop. And although... Uh, you think you know what it is, and although you can see the other person, your predecessors are doing it, until you do spot it... spot all their mistakes. Solve it. <laughs> <laughs> no, believe me, that's simple. <laughs> until you do it, you don't know. Because various things occur which are not able to be shared with everyone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Very often... Uh, which is, that's true in the senior minister's position. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. absolutely. There are things you do which you have to do because you're basing it on confidential information which nobody knows Uh, it's confidential Mm. and it's inexplicable to others looking on but you have to do it there are decisions you have to make which require courage which the the associate doesn't need to have I'll tell you why uh, among other things senior pastors usually have to worry about money Senior pastors usually have to worry about... Well, I definitely do. ...outreach. (laughs) Yeah. Now, the best number two or number three never quite have the same burden as you do in such areas. Yes, they can be very sympathetic, they can be wonderful people, but it's not quite the same thing. And the responsibilities and cares of that senior position are unique. In my Gafcon experience, I've talked to a lot of bishops Uh around the world. I think one of the things that strikes me about our Anglican bishops around the world is loneliness. I think they come into the role, they think they know the role, but until you're in the role, you don't know how lonely it is because you have to make decisions that will affect the lives of many and they may be unpopular decisions. And furthermore, you have to get the resources together in a way that others look to you for resources but don't help you provide them. Mm. That's, that's my instant
0: response. I'm mm. sure there are many others that mm. one could make. What do you think? Ah, uh, um, Yeah, I, I think as the senior person here, It's my task to lead the mission, to gather the resources for the mission and to make sure that a range of different people are kept on board with all sorts of different views and personalities and expectations and someone's got to... I I kind of think, I think most people in my church, our church, think Dominic works too hard, but he doesn't give enough attention to X. Yeah. But it's a different X for every single person in the church. Yeah. And so there's a zillion different people with a whole set of different job, job descriptions for me. Um, and I've got to have the attitude of other person centeredness. I've got to have an attitude of my, my, the members of our church need to know that I am totally for them and putting their interests ahead of mine. The staff need to know that I'm totally for them and putting their interests ahead of mine. And and I need to be making sure that I'm putting the Lord Jesus' interests ahead of all. And so there's the, there's the struggle that I have. And uh, your,
1: there's your family as
0: well? And my family, yeah. Yes. Thank you for sharing that.
1: I think that's right. And I've had the experience of having wonderful people working with me, I have to say as when i was archbishop i had a wonderful group of people working with me from my pa and mm-hmm. so forth and so on so i'm not here saying and i know you're not saying oh i'm in a bad what place because of no, no, the no. people around me N- no on the contrary even with the best people around you there's still and i know people know this but there's still number one has responsibilities and difficulties which make it different Uh, I I had a sort of a theory that people who were number two and three should not succeed the rector in parishes. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I thought it was too easy. I thought people, uh, the selectors for the new rector looking on, would say, oh, we have a very good assistant minister Mm -hmm. here, very good. We know him quite well and we think he should succeed. And I would say, well, it's too simple to make that call. And when you see an assistant succeed to be the principal... To be the rector, remember he's going to be a different person from the one he was.
0: Mm, There's a different set of responsibilities, oh, yes. and the office will change them. Oh, yes. And by the way, you ever made any mistakes? <laughs> just, now I'm just, I'm just talking between us here. This <laughs> is it's a, sort this of a, a private a, conversation. A confidential, <laughs>
1: private conversation. Have you ever made any mistakes?
0: So many. Um, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's so many different judgments where so much of the time it isn't right-wrong. Um, and there's a whole lot of shades of grey um, uh, and you've, you've just you've got to kind of weigh up the things that are before you, taking the best information you've got. And in hindsight, you could have made a better decision. But, um, I mean, I mean, I remember talking to your brother about... Um, ministry appointments mm-hmm. and um uh and I th- I think I'd made some mistakes there yeah. and um uh he said to me Dominic I think I'm a better judge of character than most better judge of people than most and I was very quick to say uh well I think you're a better judge of people than I am you know at mm-hmm. analyzing people what makes mm-hmm. them tick mm-hmm. what drives them all that kind of thing and uh and he said I think in my appointments I only get it right 50% of the time, do you yeah, know? Yeah, and, that's right. and I thought, well, wow, if you, who are far much, far better at it than I am, only get it right 50% of the time, um, I shouldn't beat myself up when I don't get 100 do you know? Sure. And, and when I feel like I'm getting 40%. You sure, know? sure.
1: Now, in my role as Archbishop, I, and the trouble is that the role has considerable power, and I was making decisions about people's lives Mm -hmm. and where they would serve and things like that and as I look back I think I don't know, I think to myself there are 20 people who are pretty cross with me for making decisions which they did not agree with about their own lives and so forth and so on probably 10 of them are absolutely right and the decisions Mm -hmm. I've made have been very deleterious to them Um, I can only say two things I think the first is that I tried to be fair. Mm -hmm. I don't think I always succeeded, but I think I tried to be fair. And if I made a decision, I think I tried to do so at least not on false grounds, but on what I perceived to be true grounds. Mm -hmm. But that's rather a defensive sort of thing to say. The thing I really want to say about this, the thing I really need to say about this, apart from sorry if you're one of those is to say I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour. And that's the only thing which enabled me to keep going or enables me to keep going uh, in the knowledge that I've made decisions which have been very damaging Mm -hmm. to people.
0: Dr Jensen, one last question then. The tenure of rectors. Yeah. Why is that important? Given what we've just talked about, absolutely. The tenure of for, in, for other denominations, the tenure of senior ministers. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. In other words, uh, that uh, failing, there can be uh, some particular reason of immorality or something like that by which, uh, through a judicial process, a rector may be removed. But failing that, they can't can't simply be removed at the end of a time or moved around by a bishop. Uh, I think that's extraordinarily important principle. Uh, you've always got to remember it doesn't always work, and that there are there, are, <laughs> you can always criticise it by saying, "Well, we got a terrible rector and we could not do anything about it, and therefore the parish was a disaster," or "We've had this man now for fifteen years; he was pretty good for the first ten, but he's no good now, or whatever. He ought to move on." Uh, yes, there's there's always those stories, but the principle at the heart of it, I think, is an essential one for us to keep, uh, precisely because of people like me, bishops uh, I think it's very important that the, the hierarchy has its role and its responsibilities but that a person who preaches in a way which is, is to them they don't agree with it or who, who conducts the ministry in a way they don't agree with necessarily isn't just moved because the bishop doesn't like them I think there's an extraordinarily important principle at stake. Uh, Now, that means that you, as the senior minister, are responsible to God in a way that you wouldn't be if you were just able to be moved around. But if we get to the point where I think, uh, say, bishops can move um, clergy around uh, through their own powers, I think we will find that the role of senior minister will become absolutely intolerable. Uh, and will create the waves as people complain to the bishop all the time about all sorts of things. I think the system we've got for all its failings
0: is the right one. Dr Jensen, thanks very much for talking to us. It's a pleasure. Peter Jensen has been my guest, the uh, former Anglican Archbishop of Sydney, current General Secretary of the GAFCON movement and uh, uh, incoming editor of The Churchman magazine. You've been watching or listening to The Pastor's Heart, and we will be back at this time two o'clock on tuesday on facebook next week and on podcast later